Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome back to the Intercooler podcast, everybody. This is episode 59. Um, and this week we're tackling what I think is quite a big topic, an important one, though. We're talking about if you can make an electric car fun to drive, if, I said. <laughs> because, well, there, there is some debate about it, isn't it? Can you actually make one of these cars fun to drive the way a combustion engine sports car can be fun to drive? But before we get stuck into it, we, we must just do our customary app update the intercooler app um so the the day this podcast goes out the app will be two weeks old um already a fortnight in which is bizarre really it's just flown by um but we should just quickly talk about some of the highlights uh some of the best articles that we've posted this week monday's um was by karen chandok secrets of circuit design uh just a sort of typically insightful piece from him wasn't it yeah it was great i mean he's such a He's such an asset to us, um, you know. And you guys, uh, hopefully, if you if you have the app, um, you'll read his words, which are which are fantastic. Um, what you won't see is just how proactive and creative and on board he is with the entire pro- process. I mean, yeah, this is this bloke, you know, Formula Formula One driver, you know, Sky F1 pundit, you know, in our world, a pretty important guy. Um, and he seems to be frankly about as enthusiastic about uh, what we're up to as, as we are. So it's uh, it's just and always with you know this is a kind of I guess a sort of view from the other side of the fence. But um, if you're creating something in in in, in our world, um, you're actually your relationship with your contributors is such an important thing. Um, and if they are hard to deal with, late with their copy, you know you're always having to give them ideas rather than them coming up with ideas. Then you know it's fine. And if the results work then that's good but with someone like karen uh you just can't keep him down can you um and it's great and we're really really um chuffed the bits to have him yeah yeah we really are the thing about karen actually particularly on this topic circuit design is that okay he's raced for many many years um i think in that piece he said he's driven around 85 circuits around the world or something but he's uniquely qualified to to write about circuit design because he actually consults for um a circuit design company called driven international um, so it's something that he's clearly spent a lot of time thinking about. And for me, that's just a great example 
of the kind of insight that you get when you manage to snare the best people in the industry, isn't it? It's, yeah, it's not just... People who actually go out and do. That's why I'm so happy to have guys like David Tuig, um, you know, Joe, our, you know, uh, the, 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 the JLR um, product manager, um, engineer, um, you know, we are very good at sitting and pontificating, and you know, but you know, these are guys who actually get out there and do it. Um, and the problem has always been is people who can you know, can not only do it, uh, which they can do, or write about it, which we can do, but people who can do both. Uh, and that's why you know some people, Tuig in particular, and Karen as well, are just really well annoying. <laughs> yeah, because- that is true. Although what I've realised is that when you're editing a title, as we are. Their victories can be your victories as well. It's great, yeah, we, isn't it? When a when a contributor writes something it. brilliant, it's, yeah, we, yeah, we get all the credit. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I, I'm enjoying that. Um, so, we've also published a piece by Henry Catchpole about titanium um, TI. That it's TI22 is its uh, symbol on the periodic table, isn't it? Um, and he his I point think the symbol that, is TI, and it is number twenty two on the period, number periodic periodic twenty two. Okay, so yes, yeah, so fine. Uh, and so his point was that when we change from drive nation to the intercooler and from dn to ti the first thing he thought was titanium and it's just another reason why we chose that name isn't it because it's it's just a cool metal in our little nerdy corner of the world yes it is it is a cool i wouldn't say that when we had the idea for it we were thinking oh yes what can we what can we think of to do with titanium it was just one of those things where um the name came up and we and we thought well what's that going to contract to and then we thought oh that's really cool Mm. yeah so it did did kind of just happen but um, at, but at the stage, we hadn't decided to use it. And it was certainly, once we realised it, it was certainly then one of the reasons that we thought, yeah, that, that's a cool name. Let's go with that. That's quite right. Yeah. So <clears throat> this week, we've also had a column from uh, Colin Goodwin, his Ask Goodwin column. And it always just makes me laugh. Um, and today, as we're recording this, there's a piece from you, Andrew, about driving a Porsche Le Mans car that you'll quite gladly never drive again. Yeah, it's strange, isn't it? You know, a Porsche prototype Le Mans car which I'd be really happy never to drive again. Um, but there's, um, yeah, it was just, it, it was the Porsche 961. Um, I'm sure many of you know of it. Uh, it was basically the racing 959. Um, and, it, and it and it sort of had, not quite, but I mean, same sort of power as a 962, um, you know, 680 horsepower, but slung out the back on a wheelbase like this, no aero. I mean, just um only the first ever four-wheel drive Le Mans car one of its claims to fame um going up in flames at Le Mans was another one of its claims to fame uh and it was just it was just a monster um and you, you might think that any Le Mans car with 680 horsepower might be a monster uh, but the truth is that they're not I mean a 962 probably don't 962 is anything other than a monster it's unbelievably fast but you know it was designed for gentleman races it frankly it was designed for people like me to be able to get into and not make a complete idiot of yourself in um and the 961 just wasn't like that. Um, so, uh, and there's a, there's a very slightly sad story about uh, me trying to get in touch with the bloke um, who'd been in it when it caught fire. Don't worry, he wasn't hurt at all. Um, and him just not wanting to talk about it at all. And I've explained all the reasons for that um, in the piece. So uh, go take a look. Hopefully that gives you some idea of the, the sort of breadth <clears throat> of the, the, the stuff that we're posting up on the app. Um, Thank you to everybody who has downloaded it so far, who's contributed with comments and feedback and all sorts. I really appreciate all that stuff. Um, can, I, can, I you... just, can I just say one thing on Go the on. comments? Um, and our investor keeps on saying to Dan and me, you must be less British about these things because you know, we were not, although we know we kind of have to do it, we're not desperately good at you know, banging the drum and going, oh, look at us, aren't we brilliant? Um, but 
you know, I, I, I'm just proud of the fact that I mean, you know, so of the of the of the information that's publicly available, you can see that if you look on the Google whatever they call it Play Store thing and the Apple Store, we've had about a thick end of 300 ratings now, of which I think two aren't five stars. I think we got two four-star ratings and 290-something five-star ratings. Um, and, you know, that might, in another world, make us feel really big-headed about it. In fact, all it does for me is it just reassures me that um, the product, if you like, is resonating out there and that people like it. Um, and really, it just means, we, hopefully, you know, if we can convert that into actually a reasonable amount of number of people going there and taking out the subscription to it, it just means we get to keep on doing it, which is what we're here for. And make it better and better. Of course. Um, that's the truth of it. Yep. So if you've been wondering about the app and you haven't yet got around to downloading it, go and do it now. You can start a free trial. Um, there's no commitment. Um, after that, it's four ninety nine a month or forty nine ninety nine for the full year. Um, and just go and search the intercooler on whichever app store you use and you'll find it right there. Uh, okay, enough of all that stuff. Let's crack on with this week's podcast. So we are talking about how slash if you can make an electric car fun to drive. We, we know they're coming. Um, and you and I have been slightly sceptical, I suppose, about the electric car movement in the past, for good reason. Um, it, they're not the, yeah. the global panacea that some people tell us they are. No. Um, but I think we're, we're broad-minded enough to recognise that they are happening and they have their virtues. Yeah, and I think you have to... I mean, this is actually always the case with internal combustion engine cars as well. But I think, you know, in the future, we're going to have to draw an ever greater distinction between cars as transport devices um, and cars whose primary reason for existence is to be driven, to be enjoyed, to be savoured by people who get that sort of stuff. Um, and I think that the, the cars in the form of the the transport, they really are going to become that. They will become... Um, because a battery is a battery, an electric motor is a motor, you know, you know it, the, the, the means that manufacturers have always been able to rely upon to differentiate their products um, are just going. They just won't exist anymore. And somebody may have a slightly more efficient battery than somebody else, and they may have an electric motor that's producing more. But they're still, you know, you know you'll be able to see it in statistics. But you know, other than that, these are just going to be blocks of tech which sit in your car and are utterly solar. So... The only way that manufacturers are going to make their cars different is in basically applied stuff like styling, like like content features, apps, you know, all that sort of stuff. Um, and so I think you will actually find a big, big push for those sorts of cars um, towards design and styling and content. Because ultimately, in the actual nuts and bolts of it, in the machinery... They can't be that different because it is just electric motors and it is just batteries. Um, so that's kind of like one thing. And, and, and the issues that we've always talked about, about, you know, the question marks that remain over the true environmental um, cost of these cars. And there's a fantastic piece on exactly this subject by Andrew English um, up on the Intercooler app now. Um, you know, that's all kind of one thing. And that, to me, is like really easy compared to the other thing, which is what we're going to talk about now, which is actually how you make an electric car fun to drive. And, you know, I know you're going to be doing a lot of talking on this because I know it's a subject that you've gone into a lot and you've had a lot of um, smart thoughts about. Um, but for me, I think the fundamental point and what makes me fear for it is there appears to be this notion out there that the way you make an electric car fun to drive is to make it fast. 
Um, because we know that electric cars are heavy. We know that they don't make noises that we particularly want to listen to. There are no gears to change or anything else. So, you know, and, and it's like the engineer thought, well, what have we got here? Well, you know, we can't do any of those things. But the one thing we can do is we can make it really fast. Uh, and I think that that is a complete dead end. I think that is a blind alley because sooner or later, people are going to realise that going that fast, even now, and I've said this before on this podcast, you know, you don't even have to get into, you know, a Taycan Turbo S. You just get into a Tesla Model 3 and just do that with it. It's not a pleasant experience. The accelerator, the forces on your body, I once likened it to doing a full emergency stop in reverse, which is effectively, if you look at it in terms of the G that you pull, what it is. Um, it's not a pleasant experience. So why would you pursue an unpleasant experience? by making it even more unpleasant, by getting even more of it. And that is, I think, the fundamental issue. Um, I'm going to shut up now uh, <laughs> and let you... So I, I, so I, I didn't mean to go off on a bit of a rant, but uh, I, I feel these things. I feel these things really strong. I don't see at the moment where it's coming from, but hopefully maybe you do, or more so than me. Well, okay. Well, yeah, let's look into it then. Um, I mean, before we get started, though, I, I think <clears throat> there is some hope in synthetic fuels and perhaps there'll be some other technology that we don't know about at the moment that might give combustion engines a stay of execu execution and yeah. frankly I really hope that is the case yes, However, but that's not what we're talking about today that's not what we're talking about and we know that EV sports cars are well on their way now and I'm, I'm not talking about fast EVs I'm talking about sports cars that happen to be electric and that are therefore designed to be machines to be driven for the, the joy of it okay that's what they're for we know that Lotus and Alpine um, have announced a JV developing an electric sports car. We think that'll be a two-seat thing. So, you know, I'm really talking about Lotus Elise, Alpine A110, these machines that are built to be driven. They're not just four-door cars that happen to be a bit sporty and very, very fast. They are sports cars. We also know that Ferrari has confirmed that it will build an electric sports car. We think it's going to be a sports car. They've, they've certainly confirmed that an EV is coming, and <clears throat> the noises suggest that it's going to be not just an electric version of the SUV that's on its way, for instance, but a proper focused supercar that happens to be electric. Um, and we... <laughs> no, I'm, I'm shaking my head. Not, not, uh, not, I'm not shaking my head and saying, oh, you know, that's rubbish, they're not going to do it. I'm shaking my head. Is I, just, I just find the entire idea just so strange. Really? Yeah, it is. It is very yeah. strange. Probably just as strange as the idea of an electric Caterham, a seven. Um, and just in the last few days, Caterham have confirmed that they are going to do one. Um, it's a few years away. It'll apparently have similar acceleration to the top rung 620R. So it'll be frighteningly fast. Because yeah, great. Is that just? Does that tell us that that's all they know how to do with electric motors and batteries? It's it's not entirely encouraging, I have to say. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I think, okay, the way I would be thinking about this, um, I went to see Aston Martin. When was it? Earlier this week? No, you're reading this. Yes, no, last week as you're listening to this. Um, and it's all embargoed until uh, actually tomorrow. So you'll be able to read about uh, some of the, con the conversation that I had with Tobias Mers, their new CEO, um, on the intercooler. Um, tomorrow um but you know uh, I, th I don't think i'm breaking any state secrets um if i say that mers's view of this is that talking particularly about the weight which to me is one of the big issues um you can make 
a light electric car. The problem is it won't have any range. Um, and so what do you do? Do you make a heavy car, which is practical and has lots of range? Or do you actually take the view that the recharging structure, however clunky it may be at the moment, is going to be transformed over the next five to ten years? And actually, you will be able to fill these things pretty rapidly and you won't have to worry about whether there's going to be a space at the next charging station or where your next charging station is, because that will be solved. You see, you won't, so the whole range anxiety thing will go away. If you believe that, then you can make quite a light electric car because you can have, just have a much smaller battery in it. Um, and so that's a kind of, to me, that's an interesting way of thinking about it. Um, and I don't suppose, you know, an all-electric Aston Martin, in much the same way as the, you know, these other brands you're talking about, is, is, is in that context such a mad idea either. It's a very good point that you make, and we can illustrate it with a couple of electric hypercars that are, that are on the way, both 2,000 horsepower things, which just still sounds completely bananas to me. Um, it is the Lotus Avaya, bananas. Yeah, we, the Lotus Avaya, we think deliveries are going to begin towards the end of this year, maybe just into next. Um, and this takes the Tobias Mers route, so it's it's only only got a seventy kilowatt hour battery, um, and that means the car weighs less than seventeen hundred kilograms. It's sixteen eighty, uh, roughly the same as the new nine eleven turbo, um, which is actually that's a really really fundamentally important impressive. point. Yeah, it's, it, that's quite it's, impressive. It's, it's impressive. Okay, and then the, there's another electric hypercar, similar sort of power. The Pininfarina Batista is on its way, and it's got a 120 kilowatt hour battery. So they've gone down the completely opposite route. They're, I suppose, they're banking on their customers, their buyers, wanting a really usable range, um, and perhaps they're not prepared to rely on the, you know, the charging infrastructure that, frankly, right now just isn't there. However, and there's the there's the Rimac too, isn't there? There's the Rimac too, which is its sister car. Yeah, uh, the Concept too. Yeah, and. Both of those, though, they are almost 400 kilograms heavier than the Lotus. 400 kilograms. That is, if you had to push 400 kilograms along the road on a trolley or something, that is a staggering amount of weight. Yeah. Um, I mean, there are entire cars out there which don't weigh a lot more than that. You know, an absolutely stripped out, super light, lightweight Caterham is probably 500. Mm. Yeah, mm. so then so that's, and that's just the additional weight. Yeah, it's an enormous amount of weight to save. So it's it's six people, it's yeah. six quite big people. Yeah, it's a staggering amount of weight. Yeah. So the Lotus is lighter by that much. It will have a much less usable range, um, but that could be transformational in terms of what that thing is like to drive. Um, I've got plenty to say on this topic, so if you don't mind, I'm just going to crack on. The, the, all of those crack cars, away. the ones that we've just mentioned, they have one motor per wheel, which is, for me, and I'll explain why now, another fundamentally important point. So I've driven a couple of electric cars that use that system, one motor per wheel, all-wheel torque vectoring. They're, they're both Rimax, the Concept 1, and their Pikes Peak car. I drove that a few years ago on circuit. Um, and it, which is the most extraordinary thing. I think it had 1,500 horsepower when, when it was fit, but because these things sort of degrade over time, they reckoned it had about 1,200 or something. Um, and the, the thing about those two cars is that they have this all-wheel torque vectoring, and the, the, the Pikes Peak car in particular, you could just flick it on and off. You could flick it on and off just like that, 
So you drive a car without all-wheel torque vectoring through a slalom of cones or around a few corners or something, flick it on, and all of a sudden, you're driving a totally different car. It's as though it's shed a third of its mass, or it suddenly has a load of downforce, or it suddenly has much stickier tyres or something. You, the weight is still there, but it mitigates that weight so effectively. It's a, it's a bizarre sensation driving a car with one motor on each wheel because the way the positivity and the response with which you can get away from a corner is unlike, unlike anything I've ever felt in a combustion engine car before. You can also make it do quite funky things if you want to. You can give it a drift mode, for instance. You can yeah. also make it spin on, a, on its own axis. And I've seen um, an electric car with a motor per wheel do exactly that. Just sit on a sixpence, just rotating like a tank with the tracks going in opposite directions. That's not exactly useful, but it just gives you some idea of what you can achieve when you have one motor per wheel. You can make a car do really funky things. Can I, can um, I ask you a question? Go on. I get that this is really impressive stuff. You know, I get that you might go there and see all those things, experience all those things, and really admire the, the people, um, the knowledge, the intelligence, the creativity behind their creation. Was it actually involving, though? Was it? Was it? Did you feel <laughs> like you were in the audience or did you feel like you were on the stage? Were you part of the action or were you just observing the action? That, to me, is the crucial distinction. Whereabouts in the theatre are you? There are three places you can be. You can be in the audience, which is bad. You can be directing the show, which is better. Or you can be the star of the show, which is actually what we all really want to be. And something like, you know, a caterer, you are the star of the show. Um, you know, it's all about you and everything. Um, and, you know, uh, and then, then you go from there down through just sort of, you know, directing the action to actually feeling you're not part of it at all. Where on that scale does it stand? Okay, you express it really well. And I, I've thought of exactly the same thing, but I just, you know, expressed it slightly differently. And the way it, we're both describing levels. There are levels to this stuff. Um, and what I've concluded after driving some of these cars and another car that I drove this week that um, I'll talk about in a moment they i i have i have genuinely enjoyed driving some of these electric performance cars genuinely enjoyed it i don't think one of these machines will ever be quite like a a caterham with a manual gearbox and a snarling little four pot engine it will never be like a mclaren f1 it will never be like a ferrari 488 speciale or something okay but i i do now believe that an electric sports car can be enjoyable enough to drive that it is worthwhile. I, worthwhile I do driving for the purpose of driving for and no the, other reason. For the pleasure of driving. A car, a car that you would set an alarm for to go and drive with no destination just because you knew the roads would be empty. That's what you're talking about. Uh, I, okay, I, yeah, I think so. Not okay. to the same level as some of the best ice cars that, that we might list. Not to the but, same level, okay, but, but you know, still I, worthwhile. I, I, I'd set an alarm for my 135 horsepower Caterham, yeah, which cost not very much money. Okay, so if you can't even get to that level, what's the point? <laughs> well, okay, I've never set an alarm for my Alpine to take that out. Yeah, but... because yeah, uh, well, yeah, but that's because that's it's your daily driver, so you're you're just always in that. If you if that Alpine was your Second car, your recreational car. I mean, let's say you had a long term from a magazine, say so you were going around the way, you're going around the place in, I don't know, three series or whatever. Um, 
and you just wanted to get out and drive something at the weekend, I bet you'd be setting alarms. It's only because you know it's always there and it's what you drive all the time when you get in the car. But maybe I'm wrong. Possibly, but the, the, uh, okay, but that we're describing the same thing. Maybe an electric car will never be uh, a set an alarm for 5 a.m. car. But I still, if it was your everyday car, like the Alpine is mine, if that thing was electric and it had some of these characteristics that I will go on to describe, and I was using it daily, but the road opened up ahead of me, I do think it's possible that that, that thing could be entertaining and rewarding to drive, worthwhile. Um, and so I had a bit of a, an epiphany this week. I was driving an electric performance car, not a purpose-built sports car. I can't say what it is because it's still embargoed. Um, but it's a, can it's I say a four, what it is? No, you can't. It's yeah, a I, was, I wasn't invited. I can say what it is. <laughs> oh, I'm okay. not subject to any embargo. No, I won't. I'd get you into trouble. So I won't yeah, you would. Uh, so it's so a, it's a four-door performance car, an electric car. Um, no prizes for guessing what it is. It's not a Porsche, is it? No, thank you for that. <laughs> and it's, uh, we were on some of the best roads in Scotland, in the country, in the world. Roads that I... I last drove in a McLaren 675LT years ago. Roads that I love, beautiful, fantastic to drive. Um, and there were moments where I genuinely enjoyed driving this car. But I had an epiphany. I realized a couple of things, okay? Uh, for me, and I'm just talking about myself here, it, it isn't the type of power delivery that you get from an electric car that will prevent it from being fun to drive, okay? That I can actually... I can get on board with. I like the response. I like the talkiness. I like the acceleration. I like the funky things that you can do with electric motors. There are other issues about electric cars. There's the weight, fundamentally important. We've already discussed that. And there's the range. It's those two things that, for me, make a fun EV a real challenge. And it's particularly difficult because you can fix one very, very easily, but not without completely knackering the other. Um, Yes, and that's the point, isn't it? It's that trade-off, isn't it? That is the point. And what I found on these roads in Scotland is that my range was limited. Um, I had to get back to Inverness Airport. I had it on the sat-nav, and I saw my range here and the distance to Inverness Airport here, and they were very, very close. And so while I was on the middle of one of these fantastic roads, could, desperate drive. to drive, I had to just go efficiency mode, wind it in, and just cruise. And I got to the airport with one mile of range showing. So it was a bloody good job I did do that. Um, and it made me realise that if when you're going for a drive, whether that's getting up in the morning specifically for it or just because the opportunity arises, and you're thinking to yourself, God, I really need to protect this battery life. That's it. In an instant, the fun of driving is gone. So... I think it is absolutely necessary for an electric sports car to be as light as possible. But it's absolutely dependent on there being an efficient and effective fast charge network. Yes. The fast charge 100%. network underpins all of this. Yes, and we don't have one at the moment. We don't have one. No. We don't have one. But, 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 but you know, we have to look a bit into the future, don't we? Um, yes. Because these cars, you know, okay, fine, we're talking about them now. There are a few of them coming out now, but they're not mainstream now um and they certainly won't be important for a few more years um and i think if you look at what is happening with particularly the ionity network in europe and is starting to happen over here things are getting better and they will only continue to get better 
Um, also, you know, the other thing is that, you know, even without solid state and this other sort of battery technologies we've talked about in the past, I still think there's an awful lot of development to be done, um, particularly with the cooling of lithium-ion batteries. Um, and that's really important because, I mean, at the moment, one of the reasons that these things all weigh so much is they get so hot, they require so much to cool them. Um, and if you don't need that much, you know, there's obviously less um, energy that is then lost to heat. There's also less weight required for all the stuff that you've gubbins, you need to keep it all cool. Um, so I think that there are gains to be made. So this issue which we're talking about is going to get better. You will have cars that are lighter, but don't have such a commensurate hit in range. The question, however, remains is that even when that's as good as it can get, and it will get to a point, as all technologies do, where it becomes uneconomic to invest further in it or something else comes along. Will that, that, A, when is that? And B, when it is there, is that in any way a replacement for what we already have now? Mm, yeah, it's, you're right. The technology will evolve. And at some point, there'll be a quantum leap. And it might be, it might be graphene, it might be solid-state batteries or whatever. But maybe something will, a technology will arrive that allows an electric car to be lighter by an order of magnitude than they are at the moment. And that could make all the difference. Um, but with the technology, the battery technology that we have at the moment, for me, a fun EV is absolutely dependent on a fast charge network. Because if you can only do 100 miles, 80 miles, realistically, um, it's just not much use, is it? it you know, that's, that's going for a blast locally. That's not going for a really long for the hell of it drive um, so you're not, so you're not going away for the weekend let, or let alone on holiday in it no um, no well it is as long as you're happy to punctuate i mean i think that there is a bit of re-education that's required here. i think we are just going to have to accept um these sorts of limitations and it's going to get easier to accept them because i mean at the moment all we're doing is comparing the electric cars with um ice cars now the time will come when there are no ice cars um, being sold, whether it's to compare them, and everybody will have electric cars, so we'll compare electric cars to electric cars. And we, as an infinitely adaptable species, will get used to that. So it's going to become, in our heads, conceptually less of a problem. We'll become much more used to it. Um, and obviously they will, as we've said, um, end up getting better at it too. But I still think that what we need is we need a kind of Colin Chapman figure, don't we? We need someone who will come along and just look at these things in a completely different way. And just accept that they're just not as good at the things that historically we have wanted those cars to be good at. And therefore think, okay, they may not be good in those areas. So let's think of other areas in which they could be even better. And I think when you look at the way they can be packaged and the way that they allow power to be transmitted, um, the response times you get, I think that there are areas in which electric cars... Actually, you know, Porsche say this about the Taycan. They say particularly things like, you know, the, 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 the throttle response you get in a Taycan, I think it's 10 times quicker than you get on a GT3. Um, they say that, you know, that on the limit, when the car starts to slide, just because of what you're talking about, you know, the way that they can just channel the torque, they say it is the most controllable car that they have ever produced. And this is, you know, like a four-door car weighing two and quite a, you know, a, a two and a bit tons. Um, so if you apply that sort of really creative thoughtful thinking to doing a sports car i'd just be really interested to see the results and you know and what i am not and i know that i've been very critical of 
you know, 2,000 horsepower hypercars and, you know, all that sort of thing. But what I am not is I'm not a Luddite. I'm not one of these guys who says the internal combustion engine is the only way forward. Um, it is not possible to make um, a battery-powered car fun to drive. I've never said it's not possible. I've, all I've ever said is I don't understand how. It's not the same thing. I'm a bit of an idiot. I mean, you know, I don't have to understand how. As long as there is a Chapman-type figure out there who does, then that's fantastic. And I will rave about the result as much as anybody else. Quite well, yeah, well said. I mean, there are a couple of other things that people will pick us up on if we don't mention it. Gear changes. You don't get gear changes in an electric car. Um, and that is, that is an important point. Gear changes are like punctuation in a sentence. And when I drive an electric car quickly, I feel like I'm reading a sentence with no punctuation in it. Yeah. And to the point yeah, where... That's a was, lovely way of putting it. Uh, I was driving this car in Scotland a few days ago. And like lots of electric cars, it had paddles on the steering wheel for changing the regen. Yeah. And I found myself, that you know, the regenerative braking, yeah, yeah. and I found myself hard on the brakes into a corner, just pulling away on this little paddle going, that's not helping. <laughs> so, you know, there's still a line of code in my mind that says, you come into a corner, you change down a gear. So there is something missing there. Um, the soundtrack is another one. I love the sound of a great naturally aspirated engine. Who doesn't? I mean, it's such a part of the, the driving experience in that sort of car. Um, some of these electric cars, they, they synthesize a sound to try and make it seem a bit more emotional, I suppose. And actually, I'd rather make a virtue of the, the relative silence and just let it be quiet and spookily uh, silent so you can hear the tyres chirruping against the road and all that sort of stuff. I'm, I'm, um, I'm, completely, I'm completely not with you on that. Really? You want some sound? No, I want... I mean... If- I think you have to make a virtue out of necessity. You know, electric electric motors don't sound very good. But what you... I mean, I think point one that you have to appreciate is if you go and buy a new car today, basically any new car, the noise the engine makes is not the sound you're hearing. Everything that's, well, that's is, true. That's true. Everything is synthesised. You know, it doesn't mm. matter what it is. People think, oh, yes, you know, top-end supercars, they might manage this. Everything is synthesised to an extent. Whether it's just sort of, you know, tuning inlet tractor, exhaust tracks, or what they think, or whether it is actually, as almost all of them do, playing sounds through the loudspeakers in the car, um, everything you hear is synthesised. It's all an illusion to an extent. So in that, at that stage, you're, only, you're now just talking about a degree of synthesis. So, you know, why not have a system where you could press a button and you can go to work in a V8 Can-Am car and come home again in a V12 Ferrari. Why not? I mean, given that you will obviously have another button where you can just get rid of all of that, so it's all about choice. You don't have to have it. You don't have to be using it. Given that it's all just lines of code and software, it doesn't add anything in terms of weight um, and, you know, you don't have to use it. Why not? You could have an entire menu. You could get your Cosworth DFV, vintage Bentley, small block Chevy. I mean, anything you like. <laughs> you make a good point. If it's absolutely convincing and you can't tell the difference, maybe. But I think you'd always be aware that it was fake. And for me, I'd just rather yeah. not have it. But, okay, but it fine. is fake already. It's all fake. It's fake at the moment. But it's convincing. It is convincing. It's that convincing. Is the point. And that it's, is the point. Yeah. Yeah. I think um, they can make. I, I think you know. I. If, if you think of the, of what technology, you know, if you think that you can. I don't know when The Life of Pi came out. Have you seen that film? No, I know what you're talking about. Okay, but it's a bloke on a, in, in a boat with a tiger. Okay, and obviously this was, it was, it came out years ago. And um, obviously there was never a bloke on a boat with a tiger when they filmed it. The whole thing was done, was synthesised. And if you look at it, it's flawless. Now, if you can synthesise that, 
quite a while ago now, believe me, you can synthesize the sounds of whatever engine you want to hear. Have to be able to. It's just much easier. It's Do you remember when the, last, when the last Renault Sport Clio came out years ago with the paddle shift gearbox? Yeah, yeah. Um, that had a system that faked the, the noise of other cars through the, the sound system, through the stereo. And you could, you could choose between lots of different things. One was a Nissan GTR. You can make your Clio sound like a Nissan GTR, except you couldn't because it wasn't in any way convincing. And so it just became a terrible gimmick um, that, frankly, he used once, laughed at, and then just never used again. Um, but I'd actually, I'd be interested to hear from listeners. Do you think an EV, if it could make a convincing combustion engine soundtrack, should it or should it actually be authentic and not make any sound at all? Um, Bearing I just want mind to... that you, you could turn it off. So Bearing should it be an option? Okay, fine. Yeah. Okay, there we go. Yeah, that's a good distinction. The, there's one other point I want to make here. Particularly these days, and particularly in sort of more built-up areas, I sometimes feel a bit of a burke driving a noisy petrol car. 812 GTS Ferrari. I took some mates out in it because you do, blasting along a road where actually there's some houses fairly nearby. And I just, I, I felt like a Wally doing it. Yeah. And there is something kind of intriguing about the idea of an electric car being able to use all its performance and nobody having a clue. Yeah. Yeah, no, I get that. I get that. But also, you know, you could just have you know, a mild hybrid, which just allows you to go into... You know, what I don't like is, you know, I live in the middle of absolutely nowhere. It is, you know, middle of the night. It is, it's as quiet as a grave around here. And sometimes I have to get up at, sometimes I choose to, but sometimes I have to get up at silly hours in the morning to go to an airport or whatever. Um, And I've just, I've got a noisy car outside. And I'm just going past the neighbours thinking, sorry, 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 sorry. And and I'd love not to be able to do that. I really would love not to have to do that. Um, Okay. Well, let's begin to wind things up and what i want to do is give you my blue my blueprint right so you're not allowed to tell me i'm wrong because this is mine <laughs> this is my blueprint for a fun ev sports car and i'm really thinking about a two-seater thing something purpose-built as a driving machine so the weight has to be low in the car as they tend to be with battery electric cars not across the floor though i don't want a skateboard chassis because i want to sit as low as possible i don't want to be sitting on top of six eight inches of battery so they need to be maybe in a T-shape across the floor or something. But the weight needs to be low because it will be heavier than a a petrol car and I want to mitigate that as much as possible by keeping the weight on the floor. Um, And the the car has to be as light as it can be. And that means carbon construction or it means aluminium construction and it means light weighting throughout the car. And it also means a modest battery. Um, And so my blueprint for this type of car is dependent on the charging network improving massively in a short space of time. I don't want to obsess over range because I want it to be as light as possible. I also want, I want one motor per wheel and I acknowledge that that's probably a complicated and expensive thing to do. This car that I've got in mind is Lotus Alpine kind of level, so it should be relatively affordable um, and I just hope that's possible. But imagine having... A car that weighed 13, 1400 kilos with a motor per wheel, 75, 80 horsepower per motor, 300, 320 horsepower, 1300 kilos, 1400 kilos. It would be quick, but it wouldn't be bananas fast. Um, I think with that kind of weight, it could be quite satisfying to drive. Um, I, I think there's merit and I think there's potential in it. Um, but I, I, I've said it before and I'll say it again. 
I still think in a hundred years time, you and I won't, but people will reflect on the greatest driving cars of all time. And I think probably they'll burn hydrocarbons, won't they? Yes, they will. Well, knowing what we know now, and we don't know what we're going to know in a hundred years, anything could happen in a hundred years. Um, but knowing what we know now, it's hard to see how they wouldn't be. And it's hard to see. And I completely agree with everything you say about, you know, your layout. But ultimately, what you're doing in configuring the car that way is making the best of a bad job. Um, that is ultimately what you're doing. And I think that if you produce that car and you took it across Wales and then jumped in your A110 to come back the other way, I don't doubt for a moment which one you would rather be in. And, you know, and if you think about the cost, for instance, of developing an A110, despite the fact that it uses an awful lot of off-the-shelf stuff, its entire powertrain, for one, um, compared to the cost of developing, you know, that EV with the carbon fibre construction you talk about, um, you know... <laughs> You can, you can make the car, but whether you can bring it to market at a price the customer's prepared to pay, it's always a problem with technology, isn't it? There's so many things we've known how to do, but we've just not known how to get it to the, to the market at a price the customer's prepared, prepared to pay. Um, you know, that's the issue, isn't it? So, you know, my, I, I'm not saying no at all. I'm just saying, my, A, I don't understand, which is no, you know, no great surprise, because there's lots of stuff I don't understand. Uh, most stuff I don't understand. Um, but what I'm also saying is I, is I just don't know, and my jury is out, and... I'm, 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 I'm quite fascinated, really, just to see how they address this issue, because I think they will have to. They'll have to have a go. Um, and, you know, and the time will also come when, you know, um, old lags like me won't be in the business anymore. And the people who do my job, the next generation who come through, won't have been brought up in the same culture that I've been brought up in. The levels of expectations will be completely different. Um, and the dissenting voices will go away. Um, and you know there'll be a few people who go out in these nice old classic cars but because it won't have been part of their very being since they were kids um, they won't resonate with them the same way they do with well certainly with me and even with you Hmm. yeah yeah there we go I mean it's sort of philosophically we'd far rather um, it turn out to be the case that electric cars can be great fun to drive wouldn't we given the choice that's what we'd have of course. There's no question about it. Of course. We, um, that's what we want. Yeah. But, I'm not saying it's impossible. No. But they're... I mean, the first batch of these... I, I'm sort of ignoring the hypercars because they're so out of reach. They're a couple of million quid. I'm waiting for the first generation of relatively affordable electric sports cars to come along. And I'm... That I've, I've really, I'm, Yeah. I mean, I, know. I mean, that is... To me, that is absolutely... You know, Batista, Rimac... If I fine, you know, great, okay, you know, you need to make statements, go off and do that sort of thing. But actually, those aren't those aren't real cars, are they? In terms of what's important to most people. But that Alpine um, Lotus, that could really be something, couldn't it? Mm. That's the one. That's the one I've got my eyes on. And we think there'll yeah. be an electric Boxster and Cayman at some point. Yeah. You know what? If the if these cars come along and they're wholly unsatisfying to drive, ah, <laughs> uh, it'll be. Maybe lots of people think that will be the case, but it, it will be a pity. I'm really hoping that someone manages to crack this and yeah. develop one of these cars that's actually really exciting. We'll find out within a few years, won't we? We will. We will. Okay. Uh, well, there we go. That was, that was a big topic. Um, 
quite an interesting yes. one, I think. We almost got serious then, didn't we? Just a little we'll bit. We'll make that mistake again. We won't do that again. No, normal nonsense resume next week. Um, thank you, everyone, for listening. Uh, head over to the app. Go and download the app. Just check it out. See what you think. Let us know. It's free for a month, and you can cancel if you don't like it. So just go and download it and sign up. It takes moments to do it, um, and we think you'll enjoy it. We've got some great written pieces up there. And it's not just Dan and I wittering no. on. We've actually got proper like journalists writing proper stuff on there. Um, some really, really interesting people from all sorts of varied and interesting walks of life. Um, We've, so yeah. highly yeah. commended. And it's, it's so easy to cancel. If you don't like it, just get rid of it. It's as simple yeah. as that. Just go and give it a go. Um, yeah. And let us know what you think. And come back next week because we'll be there to talk to you again. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 